right. Uh, well, today is a special day. We are continuing our series, Showers to Flowers. Uh, we've been talking just about how, how you know, God moving people from dark times in their lives to, to a time of flourishing. And, um, and so um, it's, today, will, again, will be a little bit different, like last week was a little different. Um, but today's a little different in that um, I've asked um, David and Wendy Myers to, to come this morning and to share their story. Um, and we'll get into the details of this here in, in a bit, but um, that back in this, this last late fall, uh, Nove- uh, late November, um, David and Wendy uh, contracted COVID-19. And, um, and uh, as many people have, but they were some of the few that were impacted very severely because of it. The, pro- the, the diagnosis was not good, um, but let me tell you, uh, I think their story will, will, will show you the power of prayer. And, uh, and the supernatural healing uh, that God provides. So will you please uh, put your hands together and help me welcome today uh, David and Wendy Myers. And uh, uh, Wendy was thrilled uh, about this opportunity. I know, I know it. And uh, it should already be ready for you. Where's the off button? Uh, I almost made a bad joke right there. But... Uh, I thought David would take that opportunity, um, but no. I'm still uh, thinking about baptism. Oh man, it's so exciting, man! Love Just it. See a new life, right? It's it's well. I don't know if Robin remembers this, but we were baptized before the, We were baptized on the same day back in the day when we went to the reservoir. Oh wow! And uh, some beautiful little saint was baptized after me, and she lost her wig. And I got to swim for it. I will never forget my baptism. That's day. awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, David and Wendy, it's, uh, thank you for, uh, Wendy, thank you for having the courage to come up here and share your story. And, uh, I know people always say, how do you get up here every week? And I said, well, it's easy because I can't see anything. Uh, the lights are a little bright. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, so, so basically to get started back, at, it was November, um, yeah that um, David, it was you first, you found that you were having symptoms of COVID. Well, actually, we had back-to-back nights where we gathered together with family. Yeah. Um, the day, I think the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving both, we had gathered at KJ's house. And um, KJ texted on Friday and said that he had tested positive. Okay, so it's KJ's fault. Yeah, it's KJ's fault. He's not here this morning. That may be why. That's why. Uh, yeah. He, he was patient zero, I believe. No. Um, but uh, so we just kind of looked at each other. As we were like, great, man. The whole family was there. Yeah. You know, because, you know, our, everybody's concern is always that you would infect someone else. Of course. Working for the post office early on, I'd come home and shower every night as soon as I got in the door because I was always afraid that I'd bring it home to her. Yeah. And she's always struggled with breathing and asthma and different stuff like that. So I was always concerned for her. So, well, anyway... We both tested positive on Sunday, and I was the more sick person Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And uh, Wednesday, I started feeling better, and she, I can't tell you that she necessarily started feeling worse. She just started sleeping a lot, mm. and that was something that when she's sick, we're not used to. She's awake a lot. Yeah. You know, she doesn't sleep a lot, period, when she's, uh, like, I'm a sleeper when I'm sick. And I was awake the whole time. Like, COVID kept me awake, like, 24-7. It was weird. But by 
Friday, she hadn't eaten anything or taken her medicine in almost two days. And then Saturday, she was pretty much comatose. I think all I got in her was part of a, oh, carnation breakfast milk, breakfast drink. So was Saturday the day that you really began to grow more? Quite I was pretty concerned Friday, Friday, just because she, I couldn't get her awake. And when she was awake, I was having a hard time, like, getting her to make sense. Mm. So, more than normal. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Why are the I don't, know who, I don't know who was laughing out there, Wendy, but we'll find them, all right? They know uh, you. That was... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so Saturday or Sunday morning, we got up and I tried to get her up immediately on Sunday morning. Um, and she wouldn't respond. She wouldn't drink. She wouldn't take her meds. So I called Jordan, who is KJ's wife. Um, and she was a godsend through this because she's in the medical field. Right. She's a PA. And um, we leaned on her a lot. Uh, I can say this since she's not here, but at times she terrified me with all the information um of the could be's of the could be's yeah. right yeah um so sh i was like what do you think should i take her to the emergency room uh my wife can attest to this i don't like going to the doctor unless we absolutely have to matter of fact ty was almost born at home because of that <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> but uh we went to the emergency room and uh so they took her back, and they wouldn't let me go back because she was COVID positive. I was COVID positive, but they wouldn't let me go back, so that was really weird. Yeah, I would imagine that during this time, too, because it was a, a spike of COVID, it especially was. here. Yeah. Um, that just That's a whole other level of complexity, too, when you have a loved one in the hospital, because the hospital is having to put a lot of regulations on seeing your family or whatever, just out of caution right but like yeah. it's just a whole nother level of concern. and it got worse while she was in the hospital okay. it actually spiked more and the restrictions got Tighter. more stringent yeah, yeah. yeah and so um but they couldn't get any answers out of her they couldn't get her name they couldn't get her birthday or anything so they finally came out and got me and uh i mean we really didn't know much about covid truthfully I never expected it to attack her body the way it attacked her body, the way it affected her mind, I guess, you know, uh, especially early on. Uh, actually, you, throughout. We have some funny stories later, right? Yeah. yeah. What do you think contributed to, like, these symptoms that she was having like this? I think lack of, lack of oxygen. I think I, just looking back, I think her body was being CO2 poisoned, right, so, carbon yeah. monoxide poisoned. Do you remember what her oxygen level was when you went to the ER? Yeah, when we got to the ER and they hooked her up for the first time, it was at 83. Um, and you're supposed to be at 93 to 95. Um, they told her she wasn't going to be allowed to get up and use the restroom. The first time I'd seen any signs of life from her in, since Wednesday was they asked her what day it was, and she ended up getting out that it was Sunday. Okay. And so that was cool. She's like, it's football day. So <laughs> I don't know why. When he loves yeah, her football. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've corrupted her and made her a football fan. Um, but other than that, she was very like, just wasn't making sense. She, I think she was able to tell him who the president was. Um, Cause they asked tons of questions like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so they told her that she couldn't even get out of bed to use the restroom. Well, she finally had to use the restroom cause they got her on an IV and, um, 
she, the nurse said, are you ready to get up and use the restroom? It was a different nurse. And she looked over at me with this sly smile like, she doesn't remember I'm not supposed to get up. So she was so happy they were going to let her get up and use the restroom. <laughs> but when she got back into the bed, her oxygen level dropped in the 70s. Wow. And so uh, at that point in time, they did not allow her to get back up again. They gave her some several different meds. I can't even tell you what they all were now. And then eventually they told me they were going to keep her overnight. We'd actually called Friday to get her the antibody infusion and schedule with our doctor. They were willing to give it to me, but they weren't willing to give it to her hmm. because I was diabetic and she wasn't. So I was high risk. She wasn't. So finally they agreed that if she would come in and get a drive-in COVID test Friday, they would give her the antibody infusion. And they said they would call and schedule it. We got the test results almost immediately back, but we never did hear from the hospital about the antibody infusion. I don't know if that's because we took her in or what, but mm -hmm. she never did have it. Um, but they put her in the hospital, and it spiraled down from there. So what, what began to take place next? Because you went to the ER, and then you went... You went home? Is that what you were just saying? They sent me home. They sent you home. They sent me home because they kept they were, her. They would not allow me to stay with her. And, and, and in total, from that day, that first Sunday that you took Wendy to the hospital, I mean, how long did, would she spend in the hospital's care? I wrote it all down so I yeah. remember, yeah. Well, I've been actually working on a journal for her. I'm almost done with it um, because she doesn't really retain a lot of memory of what happened during it and or memories or or what's accurate and what's not because she had she had a lot of thoughts and dreams and other stuff that was going on during that time but um she uh she doesn't really retain a lot so i'm putting it together so she can kind of go back and see yeah you know i tried to update people on facebook as much as possible which is way out of my comfort zone i hate facebook um, but that was like the one way I felt like I could get more people to help pray. So, uh, I took that advantage, but she went on November 26th. She was in, we took her to the emergency room on this. I'm sorry. We found out we were positive on November 26th. Yeah. Uh, December 5th, she went to the emergency room. December 6th, they put her in isolation. On the 7th, they moved her into what was called an oxygen room. Okay. And I could only see her behind glass at that point. Wow. I went twice, and they turned me away and wouldn't let me go in because I was still running a fever. Okay. Um, so the 5th, 6th, and 7th, I, I didn't get to see her till late on the 7th because I didn't have. And only then I could, it was like a glass door out there, and she was laying in a bed back here. So, um, and then on the 8th, they moved her into ICU. So... 71 total days in the hospital. 71 yeah. days in the hospital. Yeah. Uh, almost two times what Noah saw rain. 40 days and 40 nights, right? Yeah. I, I, that's kind of what I was thinking this week. I was like, that's amazing because you think 40 days and 40 nights of rain, she's in there 71 days. She almost like doubled that. So it was pretty crazy. She was in the ICU for seven weeks, 50 days on a vent. 30 day, 34 days in a medically induced coma. They, I say, called the family in twice. They told us twice, basically, that she was not going to survive. I remember the first event. time. Yeah. And so tell us about that, like when the doctors called you in. So 
we grew to we grew to love this uh, PA eventually, but early on she was a little rough. Um, but the more time you spend with people, actually, can I just say 100% that higher community staff, ICU across the board were phenomenal. Yeah, they were they were phenomenal. So uh, I will always be in their gratefulness. Um, they were fantastic. They bent the rules when they felt like they could bend the rules for us, and their care was just outstanding. So uh, we were very, very happy, even though she wasn't at times with them. Um, but she also felt like she was being held captive at points. <laughs> so um, what was the question? Where were we going with that? that? Like, tell us about when that first time that the doctor oh, really yeah, had to give yeah, you yeah, yeah. Potential bad, bad news. So it was the first day they moved her to ICU. They moved her out during the night. I got a call early in the morning that they had moved her to ICU. Um, which, man, it just every step it felt like we were stepping backwards. Right? It was, it was like there was never any good news early on. It was just, it was terrible. She would, I could, I would call her through the glass, and she just couldn't stay awake enough to talk to me, and so. There was no communication. She was in isolation. Um, there was no information. So if you get into this place, if you ever find yourself in this place, just be ready. There is no information from the doctors, from the hospital. You think that's because this was all new to them as well? I think they are so overwhelmed. Yeah, that makes sense. Because literally... Someone died the first week she was in ICU, and before that, they barely got that person out. There was someone else in behind them. Wow. I mean, it was just such, it was so chaotic. Very chaotic time. And they're overworked. It's like anyone else right now. You can't get enough staff. That's what I saw from, I mean, there's just not enough people to serve all the time, right? And uh, my sister dealt a little bit with it with her husband, but... uh, she got a like a patient advocate right away. I think the way we came in, we didn't get a patient advocate, and I think that would have helped yeah. uh, at first. But my our personal physician, I finally just called him and I said, "Listen, I got no information. I'm lost here. What can you find out for me?" And early on, he was a, he helped a lot okay. in that, so that was nice. So the but, doctors um, called you in, basically tell you we don't know. Well, they called. They said I scheduled. They made me schedule an appointment to come in. And the PA met me there, and uh, she said that they had put her on the vent. She uh, and if you know my wife, this won't surprise you. She bit through the first vent. Um, and Wendy, they, you didn't you didn't want this? Huh? <laughs> I don't remember anything. Oh wow, yeah. <laughs> they uh, she was violent when they tried to vent her the first time. Wow. So that's when they put her on a paralytic. Yeah. Um, and they basically paralyzed her body. About how many days was she in the hospital before they had to put her on the vent? I feel like it happened pretty quick. Yeah, it was just three days. Yeah, three days. Three days. So from the time you took her to the ER, three days later, she's on a vent. Yeah. When I first brought her in, they put her on the canal nasal oxygen. Then they moved her to, uh, uh, it was a more face, form face mask thing, like you kind of see when they're trying to give oxygen they were just trying to get her oxygen right levels up trying to get her oxygen it. then they went to this bipap thing which was like looked to me like scuba gear like she had a scuba mask on 
<laughs> the first time I came to her, she had the scuba mask on. She picked up the phone. She put it. She hit it against the glass Aww. that was on her face. <laughs> she was just looked at it. She just like she just laughed and just kind of put it back. I've in. never heard these stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, then when I came back and she was on the vent, man, that was that was surreal. Like it was like, dude, my wife is like on. I don't know. I guess what I felt like was life support. Yeah. You know. And when you saw Wendy on the vent, um, I, I can only imagine having a great sense of like hopelessness. It was so overwhelming. I'm not even sure. I think numb is the most appropriate word, right? Just don't um, know what to feel. I don't know what can't to feel. Didn't know happening. what to feel. Can't. My worst nightmare was happening with COVID because that was always a concern. I mean. Literally, that we would we took so many precautions, especially early on when we were still in Louisiana and I was working at the post office, that we were so careful when I came home not to drag anything yeah. in. That was half the reason why we didn't do church for a while, because my church, I don't think, would have ever cared if we shut down during COVID. But part of the reason was because I didn't want to drag anything to my elderly members yeah. in the church. Yeah. You know, we were so consumed, and so it had become a reality for us. You know. So how many days was she on the vent? Or was it the day that they moved her to the vent that basically they told you, we don't yeah, think so she's coming out of this? When I met with that, that nurse practitioner, she put her basically her hand right here, and yeah. she softly patted me like twice, and she said, you know that it's not, uh, it's not likely that she's coming off. And, dude, when that hit... Because like, once they put her on the vent, they're saying, once we put her on the vent... Yeah, she's not coming off the vent. So, but you got to remember, they're in ICU. All they deal with is death all the time. Yeah. Like, no one else came out of ICU while we were there. Not alive. Wow. So, um, I'm not an emotional person unless it's like God stuff, you know? Like, yeah. That stuff will move me to tears. Other people's emotion will move me to tears. I wasn't sure I was even human at times. Like, my dad passed away, and I did the funeral. I was just like, okay, you know? Yeah. But <laughs> I was moved to emotion in that moment. Matter of fact, I probably cried more the last three months than I had in my entire lifetime. Yeah. We were just raised in a generation where you didn't cry. Yeah. You know, men were men. Were men. You didn't cry. I remember sitting with you at the hospital and yeah. you saying, I've not cried this much. Yeah. Like, ever. Yeah. So they allowed me to stay 15 minutes that day. They let me garb up and put a gown on and a mask and two masks. I had two masks on, a face shield, gloves, and a gown. And they let me go in and hold her hand um, through the gloves and uh, just softly prayed, you know. And then my 15 minutes was up, and uh, so I went home. And when I got home, KJ met me. Um, my boys were phenomenal through this. Yes. They were phenomenal. Um, matter of fact, my family community, my brother's here today. Both of my brothers are here today. Um, and my boys, Bob, I was hoping Dean would be here today. Um, those guys were phenomenal for me. Uh, when they told me the first time that she was going to die, <laughs> I remember driving. I drove like all over Kokomo. Like, just, I didn't know where to go, what to do. 
right? I drove to my buddy's Dean's business. He's a, he was a manager at that business. I just sat outside his business and just cried because I didn't want to go in and have him see me cry, but I didn't know what to do, so I did that. And then I ended up calling all the boys and Wendy's mom and telling them what they had said that day. So. And, and did they give you like a time frame that they thought? No, they did they not. Just thought, they just told you. They just told me that. She's not going to make it. As a matter of fact, what they did tell me was that it brace yourself. It's going to be a long journey. Wow. So. When you're given news that bad that your wife isn't going to be the same again. She's not coming out of this. Brace yourself. It's going to be a long journey, but she's not coming back mm-hmm. like the way you know her. I mean, tell us what that kind of news does to to one. Um, man, did I get enough life insurance? No. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> we think he is. Add me to your prayer list. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pastor, I don't even really know, man. I mean, it's just, it was really just so overwhelming and so numb. It was just like, you're, I'm a, you know, most male, male are problem solvers. And when you can't solve a problem, this was not a problem I could solve. Yeah. And so you feel helpless. And the separation, because we couldn't be together, the, we've been together most of our married lives. I mean, we, we've very seldom spent even nights apart, you know. A few church functions here and there, but we've, other than the year I was in Iraq, she's, we've been together forever, you know. Wow. And so to be separate and to think about life without someone you've spent, I mean, we've been together 30-some years now. So... I can't remember life without her, and so to think about that, it was, it was very overwhelming because you do. You have tons of thoughts that flood through your mind. What's going to happen? Am I going to have to plan a funeral? You know, yeah. all that. Because you do. Your mind goes there. It goes to all those things. You start immediately thinking about what life what is going like to be like without, without her. her. Yep, without her. I can't so, imagine. Yeah. Now, I remember that day when we received that news about Wendy. Um, that it fueled, I think, a heart in this church, a, 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 like a, a deeper level of commitment to prayer specifically for Wendy. Um, I remember when I got the call, I believe I was at the golf course, okay. and, uh, and I left uh, right away, and then we had, um, I think that we had a group of people that spent their night here at the church, not all night, but they came th- that night. I think that was the second time. That was the second that time. That was the second time. Yeah, the second, that was a really scary moment. That then. was the very, that was the, that was the lowest moment of the process. So tell us, I mean, tell us about that low moment. So they had actually began to back her off her paralytic, um, and she had seemed to be responding quite well. Um, they had started doing some breathing treatments, and then she had some sort of, um, pulmonary episode during the night where she had some capillaries burst in her lungs I think because they were working so hard yeah and at 2 30 that morning and we the only reason we know what time it was was because we had signed up for this thing called my chart and uh let me just tell you if you you ever have somebody that has some serious health issues my chart is a phenomenal thing because you can get like real-time data you can get real-time data 
And when you have a medical expert in your family and they can look at that real-time data, they can tell you what's going on because I, I, didn't, know, I didn't know anything about what was happening, you know. Uh, I had always been intrigued by medicine. I actually wanted to be a doctor for a while, and I had, I, I'd always enjoyed that aspect of it. But when you're looking at tests and, and readings and sugar levels and, and blood oxygen levels and everything else, I was clueless. And so, so on the, this day, 2.30 this day, Everything morning, was trending up until 2.30 something morning, happened. She had some capillaries bust, they believe, in her lungs, and she was literally drowning at 2.30 in the morning. Um, and uh, if they hadn't caught it, if she hadn't probably been in ICU, she probably would have drowned during the night. And so I had decided, that was the first day I decided to go back to work because I was trying to protect my leave. Because that's the other thing in this, right? You, you have all this going on, but you still got to, I like to eat. Yeah. I like air conditioning and heat. And so you still got to work. Yeah. And I get X amount of leave a year and the post office is very gracious to me, but I didn't want to exhaust that because I, if this was going to be a long battle and she was coming home, I knew I was going to have to have time when she yeah. came home. And so I decided to go back to work that day. And, uh, I got to, uh, nine the bypass, the, I'm sorry, 31, the, there at Markland and 31. And they called me, and so I pulled off the road, and they said, you need to get back here now. She's had an episode. We didn't know all this had happened during the night. Right. But uh, they said at that point, they gave us that she had 48 hours. Yeah, I'm, that's the that's, morning I remember the, most yeah. in coming to the that hospital. That was the first time they had told us that, that we were looking at days, possibly, instead of months. Wow. And, uh, so I turned around, called KJ and Josh and Ty. And told him what was going on. Ty, if I remember right, still at this point, he was still, his family had contracted COVID. So a big swath of our family all had COVID and right around Thanksgiving. And then it just, between the Myers family and the Summers family, it just like swept through that, both sides of that family. Yeah. And they, I think they were isolated at that time. And for the second time, the doctors are telling you, yeah. this is it. And this time, like, like real time, like, are we going to make it out the next two days? And I think that yep. was the day you that came. That was the day. Brad came. Yep, I remember Brad being there. KJ and Josh, and they just basically surrounded me the rest of that day. And uh, not that the rest of my family wouldn't have been there, but truthfully, we were only supposed to have one per two people in the building at that time. Mm -hmm. You're trying to protect everyone else because you're at the hospital and there's sickness everywhere, yeah. right? And very honestly, and I think I've told you this, but when she was hooked up to all the tubes, I didn't, I didn't want to see that. That's hard that's to see. The, that's not the person I wanted to remember yeah. if this was going to be the last time I saw her, right? Yeah. That was, it was brutal. I'd imagine for those doctors, too, like, there, like you said, once you go to the ICU with COVID, these doctors basically are take, trying to do their best until they pass. Right. And so they've seen all this before. Wendy is just another you know, patient mm -hmm. that they see going down this road. And so I'm sure they had full confidence in saying, Dave, you need to come in. Mm -hmm. Like, this is, this is the moment. It was, uh, let's see, it was two days later that somebody passed away. And, and we ended up, I ended up knowing the son of the woman that passed away. And KJ and I didn't, it was either KJ and I or Josh and I, I don't remember which one, but we were actually in there. And we were sitting in the back when they brought all this family into this waiting room, right? And we were trapped. 
we were trapped in this situation where they were basically grieving and the the minister was coming in and all this stuff was going on. And I watched that little nurse, Jetney, who I grew to love immensely. She came in and she did the same thing she had done to me two days before. And she two pats on the back. patted me on the back and she, God's got you on this, da-da-da-da-da. And I mean, I was like, dude, that's the same speech she just gave me two days ago. Yeah. And that was like, okay, God, why did you trap me in this room <laughs> to witness yeah. all this? As we were seeing that. Were there any moments in this journey, um, 50 days on event, and I remember you telling me, maybe you remember, how many days do they say they do not like having anyone on event? 30 days. For, for more than 30 days. 30 days. And yeah. she spent 50. Yeah. She almost doubled that. So that's why they started talking to us about the tracheostomy, which was maybe the second lowest moment. I can remember going to KJ and Jordan's, Josh and Holly and KJ and Jordan and Ty and Joy. And we sit down and we talk through the pluses and minus of the trach. Early on, Jordan sent me an article and I had read through it. And part of it was about the tracheostomy that a lot of COVID patients have to have a tracheostomy. And I was like, at that moment, I was like, God, I don't do that to her. Because the talk was she could have it for the rest of her life. For the rest of her life, correct. And... uh it was scary. That was scary, man. Living the rest of your life, having to have something in your throat. I mean, I wouldn't want that. I know. Uh, so that was the hardest decision that we, that was probably the next lowest moment out of, outside of life and death was sitting there trying to make that decision that night. David, was there ever a moment, and, uh, and Wendy, I know we'll get to you here soon too. She's good, she says. But she like, says, this is a breeze. I can imagine that for me, I would hit a moment at some point, and let me ask you of this. Was there a moment where you begin to say, God, do you, are you really in control? No. I, the only time that I had moments of pause were I was like, I, I feel like I have a pretty discerning spirit. Uh, I've always kind of sensed situations. and I mean, even if I walk up to someone for the first time, I usually can have a pretty good gauge of, what that person is about, even the first time. First time in, in a long time or maybe my life that I felt like God wasn't giving me any direction, mm. that it was quiet. So in I that, didn't know if he yeah. was going to heal her. <laughs> I didn't know if he was going to take her home. I'm just like, I, I just don't know. So I couldn't get way down here because I didn't know if she was going to die, but I also couldn't get way up here that God is going to heal this woman and take her out of the hospital. She would live. Well, yeah, I was just, it was silent. So in that silence of like not knowing that God's given you any direction, I mean, how do you, how do you find hope? How do you stay, how do you keep yourself from slipping into darkness uh, I, this is going to sound weird because a lot of you know I'm a pastor, but I don't like people. That's why God made you a pastor. I know, right? <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, you don't like people? Ha, huh, do this. Um, people annoy me. They're frustrating. This is beginning to make sense for people, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Most of you that are close to me already knew this. <laughs> um. And so it's easy, it, was, it was easy for me to be in my silence and be quiet. But 
my family community didn't allow me to do that. Yeah. Um, Scott and Ginger called and said, man, just come over. I'm like, dude, it's 930. Come over. So I came over and helped them carry in their four million toys they bought their grandkids for Christmas. And we just spent a couple hours together. Yeah. Brad would come over and he'd bring his work stuff and just work with me and hang out, you know, bring me four billion Coke Zeros. Um, it was those things doing, forcing myself to be in community. So in other words, when someone finds himself, whether it's dealing with a loved one that's in a condition like Wendy's was, or whether someone is just in a dark season of their life, they're finding they're, that, that they are in the showers of life. What I hear you saying is you want to isolate. You do. But do not isolate. But do not isolate. And, and what I also hear you saying, this is great encouragement for all of us, if you know somebody that is in a stormy season of don't life, don't let them isolate. Don't let them isolate. Right. Get involved and surround right. them. And just being present with them. Right is and listen you don't have to be like in their face like i'm gonna take you and do this thing right but you can just continue to make sure you're present in the in the minutes that like, i'm just gonna sit with you yeah uh because i think the struggle for for people when they have someone going through such an incredible crisis they're thinking i don't even know what to tell them mm -hmm. i remember when i would come visit you in the hospital david I, i'd be like uh you know jenny and i we would pray and I just and she's like, I just pray that you know what to say. I'm like, I don't know what to say, mm -hmm. and uh, and well, I don't have anything to say. I just want to be truly. There. What can you say you to can, somebody else in that moment? You don't know how you how you're until you're in that moment. You don't know how you're going to react, right? Yeah. I mean, you just really don't. I told my mom early on when when my dad passed away. I said they say that a new normal will come. I'm not sure that normal will ever be the same again. But at some point, you're going to learn how to cope each day. And if you don't, it's okay. Yeah. You'll you'll we'll do it the next day, right? Because we we think there's this box that we have to fulfill when we're in those situations, but that's not true, man. It, it's it was every day was different. But I had to force myself, because I can be very introvert, I had to force myself to make sure that I was in a place. I think you did a good job at that, and uh, at least allowing people that access to you. Um, the hardest part was walking in the door of the church. Just yeah. got to be honest. Because but, I would imagine that you worry about, I mean, everybody's going to ask me about Wendy. Yeah, and, and early on, I wasn't emotionally ready to answer anybody's questions. Yeah. So the second you walk in the door... You guys got them silly greeters there greeting people. And they're good at what they, they do. They are good at what they do, man. No, I'm teasing about that. Yeah, but yeah. seriously, I mean, you're, you're loved on from the minute you walk in this place. And so, man, I just wanted to get to my seat. <laughs> and I knew because my Aunt Patty works back there in, uh, at Children's Church. I knew she would see. And the only reason I even came in these doors, otherwise I would have slunk in a different door. Yeah, come in the any back other door. other door <laughs> I could have found that was unlocked, right? But what made you come? Why come? Because I knew, man, I was saved in this old building over here at seven years old. Yeah. You know? Uh, I think mom brought me here at, how old was I? Three days old, four days old, something like that. I've been in this building most of my adult, most of my life. Mm. So my hope is here. Our, 
the answers were here. Yeah. If <laughs> the only guy that I needed on my side was God, and so I needed him to, to know that I was still, I still needed him. If, if anything was going to happen, yeah. I needed him. I mean, what's encouraging me, David, listening to this is like, like your story is just telling me like even on your worst day, and I can't imagine a worse day than being told, yeah, your wife's not going to make it. That you continue to do what you didn't even feel like you wanted to do, which was you, you allowed people to surround you and you didn't isolate. And you, and you leaned into your faith even to the point of walking into these doors on your toughest day, in your darkest hour, that you would walk into your church and well, worship. I, needed, I knew I needed worship. Um, there were songs that ministered to me so much during that time. Um, can I encourage you with this? I, I find I'm ADD when it's come, when it comes to reading the Bible. Like, I'll read a chapter, and then I'm like, all of a sudden, my mind's somewhere else. And then I read, and then I, my mind's somewhere else. And so, I, I'm all, I already struggle with reading the Word. I'm a lot better when I play it, you know, and listen to it and absorb it that way. But in the moment when, you're, when everything's crashing around you, you need the Word. But I couldn't read it. I couldn't process it. Mm. I couldn't concentrate enough. But do you know how much Word there is in songs and worship and it was that scripture that I found in different songs that I just man I let that wash over me yeah. and I let that scripture speak to my heart and so in the in that moment when I couldn't process anything else that worship and the scripture that was in that worship that was life-giving to me and I think that just is is finding ways when you're in your darkest hour to to invite the light in mm-hmm. wherever possible. And so the, the, the prognosis hasn't been good. I mean, they basically told you on t- two occasions, your wife's not going to make it out of this. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then ultimately they were saying, okay, there's a chance, but she's never going to be the same again. You know, that she might have a trach mm-hmm. uh, permanently for the rest of her life. Feeding tube permanently for the rest yeah. of her life. Yeah, feeding tube permanently. I mean, these, these are, this is hard news. But at what point did things just begin to turn for the better? Because obviously, Wendy, you're here, you're strong, you don't have a trach, you know, so they gave you a time frame of her recovery, and she like, I think she set some kind of record. Tell us Dude, about she that. she crushed it once we finally got her from ICU to LTAC. It was the two weeks from that they started talking to us about the vent. We were, I think they started, man, I don't remember. Maybe one of the boys remembers, but I think they started talking to us about the trach at like day 27 or 28, something like that. So we had our meeting. I didn't want to make the decision, but obviously it came down to me. The boys were encouraging, but they basically was like, we ain't making the decision, Dad. You got to make it. So I made the decision. And we decided to do it. And then all of a sudden, we began the infection battle. I think the next two weeks, she had surgery scheduled three times, four times. And every time, 
it would get pushed back because she would have an infection pop up. She had some, inf she had m more infections than I even knew was possible to have. I mean, mm. it was like, she had unbelievable amount of infections over that next two weeks. Uh, one of them attacked her legs. She was just broke out on her legs and she had an infection everywhere there. And because uh, they put this like strawberry cream cheese looking cream on your legs. I thought that was weird. Um, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> She just battled infection off and on for those next two weeks. So that's how we got to 50 days on the vent Yeah, before they finally were able to do the surgery. So day 50. Well, hold, let me say one more thing yeah. too real quick, Pastor. It was, we made the decision and then they, brought it, they started bringing her off the paralytic and then she told Josh that she didn't want the trach. Mm. So we had went through this battle making this decision and they get her lucid enough to, like, throw a wrench in our thought pattern. Do you remember this, Wendy? No. no. She basically told, I think it was Josh, she told Josh that she didn't want the trick. After you decided, okay. After we had decided We just to finally made this very right. difficult decision exactly. to do it. Yeah. Oh, man. And so, at that point in time, we didn't know where she was at in her right mind. Oh. I don't know who that is over there, but they keep laughing at you when I say stuff like that. Uh, but we didn't know, you know, where she was at, if she could, if she really didn't want the trach, we needed to know. Yeah. So that took us down a whole nother path of misery for a few days, but we finally decided to do that. They go in, they finally do the trach, do the feeding tube, and then when I walk in and my wife has got this thing sticking out of her throat and she's bloodied and, I mean, she was a mess. Um, that was pretty surreal too. Again, <laughs> again, yeah, just and here blow. was the next the next phase that I hadn't expected. When she started getting better and coming out of it, the thing I did not expect was to find out how miserable she was and not being able to do anything about it. Mm. Because then she could communicate to us a little bit, and she wanted to go home. She wanted to go to Indiana, which she already was in Indiana, but she just didn't know that. Um, she she wanted they had her bound down. She couldn't move her arms. She had her that her tied down. She wanted loose. She would call us over and try to sneak right stuff on our legs to try to tell us that to take her home or the nurses were being mean to her or whatever it was, yeah. you know. Um, and once again, we didn't know where she was at. In, in her ability to be lucid, so. And so after 50, after 50 days, they finally were able to get her off the vent. Yep. And, uh, and Wendy, what were some of your first moments of like awareness in all of this? When I first got off the, the, when I first started waking up, I was only half awake. It was like my body was awake, but my mind wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I've told you that I thought Miss Jenny was in charge of the ICU. You didn't like my wife then at that time. She was mean. <laughs> so somehow you think my wife is in charge of the ICU. I thought I was yeah. in a hospital. And Jenny's keeping you there. Vet clinic and pizza place all in one. Wow. And I was trying to smell the pizza, but I couldn't. So just a lot of confusion. Yeah. Her night, her night nurse was named Coda. KJ and Jordan's dog is named Coda. 
And so we think that because they would call her night nurse Coda all the time, she thought that's where the veterinary clinic kind of came in. Oh. Because Coda was her night nurse. And I thought the dog was there with me. Wow. And, um, well, you were there. Mm-hmm. You asked if you could do anything for me, and I was like, can you get these restraints off? And you were like, yeah, sure. And he's like, wait a minute. Let me go ask the boss. He goes back to Jenny, and she goes, absolutely not. I love how in your imagination, Jenny's still in control. Yeah. <laughs> of me. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor has a twitch now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I can remember thinking we were in Louisiana, and I remember, and Josh has told me I've done it with him too, but I I specifically remember David and KJ just grabbing their arm, and even though I have a vent, so I couldn't really be speaking, my memory is that I was. Interesting. And I was like, take me home. I don't know why they're keeping me here. I'm awake. I'm healthy. Don't leave without me. And I would grab hold, and it was a dark day for KJ when I did that. Yeah. It was brutal. The boys, even though the boys and I wanted to be there, we didn't want to be there. It was hard. Just because it's hard, yeah. It was hard, man, seeing her go through that. Um, it, was, it was brutal. So you, in your mind, you really felt like, I'm well. They're keeping me here against mm-hmm. my will. Totally healthy. But you were a very sick girl. You were very sick. Well, at one point, David and I was talking with David, take me home. Again, talking when I couldn't be. And he's like, you at least get me close to home. And he goes, you know you're in Indiana, mm. and we live in Indiana. And I'm like, no way. Mm. And then everything started clicking from there. And then there are still some memories. I'm like, I don't know if that was real or if that was just in my imagination. The funny part was I asked her if Pastor could come pray for you. No. And she said no. <laughs> Because I wouldn't let her out. Well, we, this was a different part of her memory. She thought that Jenny had been arrested for something and, and you that you guys were on out. the run. You were on, the, on the run. You were on the run. Oh, my word. And I'm like. <laughs> and so she did not want you to come pray for here. her. I don't want that criminal come praying for me. Because I said, I said, you want Pastor to come this week and pray for you? And she said, they're gone. I'm like. <laughs> They're there wanted. Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> they are wanted. When did you, Wendy, become aware of all that took place or the condition that you were in and how severe it was? I don't know. You don't know? Mm-mm. Still just all blur. My total time in the ICU is still just a little groggy. Sure. Foggy. Yeah. Whatever. But um, I wish I was more lucid at that time. You probably don't. No? No, probably not. And so they, she had progressed to the point where it was even a miracle that they were talking about releasing her from the ICU. She was the first person that the ICU staff said ever had done physical therapy in ICU. Wow. They were bringing physical therapists into the ICU room. And uh, some of the, man, some of the most exciting days was the first day they put her in a chair wow. out of her bed. She's still on the vent. Yeah, but they they got her out of her bed, put her in a chair. Because early on, man, early on they would they said they were going to be when she was on the paralytic. They would put her on her side for so many hours, put her on her side for so many hours, and then on her stomach for like twelve hours a day. Well, they did that the first day, and I think Josh was the first person that went in after they 
had done that and she had swelled up so much in her face mm. and she was like discolored and purple and she did not respond well to that so they didn't ever do that again um so to get from that point right to where she just set up in bed for the first time wow. was a miracle her two physical therapists they were phenomenal we went back and seen one of them and they just loved on her when we were even back again but they uh, I think about a week into it, they got her standing up. They put her on like this backboard machine that like enabled her to stand up. And um, that was pretty phenomenal, seeing her stand for the first time, even still and hooked to everything. they grabbed my iPad, wanted to take a picture, and I'm just like. <laughs> so I was so very I careful. I didn't take many pictures while she was in the ICU. Sure. I have like two, yeah. and that's it. I asked her if she wanted to put one up today, but <laughs> she wouldn't allow me. Yeah. So... Um, but we were very cautious of that because I know how private of a person she is. Um, but it was a true miracle. It was a miracle was just to get her out of the bed. PT in the in, in the ICU. ICU. But then it was a miracle to hear she's going to be released from ICU right. into this place. LTAC. LTAC. So Long term acute care care hospital. So she was she was transferred to this long-term care right. facility which was they a battle with insurance months. which was a battle with insurance. Oh, I bet. God bless insurance. Don't get me wrong cuz ICU by itself was 1.2 million dollars. Um so God bless insurance. Yeah. All right. Yes. Uh we've seen very I mean we we have our chunk but it's not 1.2 million. Yeah. Praise God. God. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we never saw a bill from LTAC. Wow. Which is a miracle in itself. So she so goes they to LTAC. They to tell LTAC. you that was a three battle. months. They told us three months. Well, they told us, I think, six weeks to three months. Am, am I remembering that right? Two weeks to six months. Two weeks to between, four months. So they said that she could be here between two weeks and four months. Four months. And so at four months, we wouldn't be here this morning. You'd still be there. We'd still be there. That gives me oh, some perspective. So I remember this. To she, think that she'd still be there right now yeah, blows my mind. I should have got the date, but I, I think she was transferred to LTAC like the second week in February. I think you're right. January 25th to February 14th. Okay, that's when she was in LTAC. So, so how many February, weeks was she in LTAC? February, March, April, May. She wouldn't even be getting out of LTAC till the end of this month. So... So but, we, here's some of the miraculous things, because yeah. I wrote these down because I want to make sure I shared those. Um, if I can find it. So she was transferred to LTAC. Within one week of being transferred to LTAC, she was totally off the vent. Wow. So one of the things they did with the, the trach is you don't have to have a tube down your mouth anymore. The vent is attached to your throat. It helps you be able to breathe more better. It also reduces the damage for, to your vocal cords long-term, being able to eat, drink, breathe through your esophagus, all that stuff through your windpipe and esophagus. So within one week of being in LTAC, she was totally off the vent. Now, that's, a, that's, that's miraculous, right, one week. But here is the, I mean, this, this thing, like only God could have done this. Like they told us she was coming home even after the f two to four weeks in LTAC, she'd be home with oxygen maybe forever. One week she was off of all oxygen. Wow. No, no canal oxygen? No nothing. Wow. She's breathing on her own. 
They captured Sharik after, within that first week, uh, I think three days they had her Sharik capped, um, which meant that if she could survive with it capped for three days, they'd take it out. On day eight of LTAC, they took her tracheostomy. Wow. After I mean, thinking just, she'd have it the rest of her after life. After she could possibly have it for the rest of her life, yeah. And at that point, we didn't feel like she was going to have it for the rest of her life, but there was always that, that mindset in the back. I really felt like if she got to LTAC, she would crush it. Her grandbabies were her driving force. I bet. Um, she, uh, I, I think she, she likes us boys and me. But them grandbabies drove, I mean, they, they kicked her into a gear I had not seen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, and they removed, removed her trach on day eight. And they, man, it was so exciting. Like the first time they put the speaking valve on her trach, and I'd heard her voice for the first time in f- seven weeks, eight weeks. Seven or eight weeks, wow. It was phenomenal. I got that video still. Do you really? I do. Yeah. It felt weird to talk. I bet, yeah. It was like, do I know how to talk? Because for the past three weeks, we'd been dealing with her using like a letter board to spell out words to us. Right. Uh, she said she knew sign language. One day she told the nurses she knew the sign language. She was doing all these sign language things, and we're trying to decide whether she really knows sign language or not. And Joy, Joy knows some sign language, so I sent her some stuff and... Uh, anyway. So do you know sign language? Very little. Very little. <laughs> Enough to confuse us. <laughs> I just remember when they were transferring you to that long-term care facility that, you know, and David was trying to get things in order. He was trying to get to, uh, to a ground-level apartment mm-hmm. for when you came home. But you did so good that I think you were planning for... March 1st. March 1st, right. That, but you did so good that you beat all odds of not just the ICU and the vent and the, the diagnosis they gave you, the time frame they gave you. You beat all those odds, but then you go to this long-term care facility where you could be there for up to four months, and you're only there for a couple of weeks. I mean, Well, no one told me I was supposed to be there for that long. <laughs> so... Well, then you just did whatever you wanted, and you got yourself home. But uh, what, what encouragement would you give to us today? Because um, I mean, that, that is a long battle, uh, and I know you don't remember a lot of that. But I was pretty numb when I first got home and first started getting better. Still on and like a level of, like, I can't believe this happened? I just, like, what has happened? Mm. Lots of you questions. Um, You'd miss Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. My first Christmas you in You miss Indiana. Christmas. You miss New Year's. I don't care about New Year's. But Christmas with my family. Yeah. I was pretty upset about you that. You missed all of Christmas. But um, God helped me through that because I, it, you know, I could have been really depressed about missing Christmas because I'd really been looking forward to it. Sure. But I wasn't. But, um. I was kind of numb spiritually. I was just like, man, of course I couldn't worship. I couldn't sing because my lungs, I still can't. Mm. Not well. Well, I never could well, but. (laughs) Um, And I remember talking to Jenny about it a little bit. It's just like, 
because I was like, why didn't God take me home if I was so close? You know, was I not ready? All those kind of fears sure. come in. Yeah. But she's like, just give yourself a break. You know, you're numb. You're not just numb spiritually. You're numb in all that, all facets. You know, so. I listened to worship music one day, and I, I didn't spend any time crying over my condition. I don't ever remember thinking, am I in the hospital? I just always knew I was, and you know, it, it was never a shock to me. But I was listening to worship music one day in, um, on Pandora, where Pandora picks the music for you, or God picks the music for you. <laughs> and every song was about fear, you know? And that's the, that's the only time I really cried in the hospital. I was just like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Yeah. But I just did what I had to do. Just like any other tough time in your life, you just, you just do it. If you trust God, you trust God. So it just was what it was. We talked about Philippians 4.13. It was mm -hmm. a scripture that hung with her quite a bit through it. And uh, says, I... Uh, I can do all I things, can do all through, things through Christ. Who the windy version me. is I can endure all things through Christ. I can make it through yeah. all things through Christ. Good. The Amplified Bible says uh, I can do all things which he has called me to do. Wow. So when you think about it like that, this, this thing happened to us for a purpose. It happened for a plan. I think part of that was to remind the church how much prayer can accomplish and that's something Jenny encouraged me with. She's like, do you know how many people were praying and how many other people's faith has strengthened because they prayed yes. and they saw the glory of God? Yes. We, we, we've battled with this illness now for, what, almost three years of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. COVID-19 is a tool of the enemy. I don't, I'm not saying that the enemy unleashed it on us, but it is a tool of the enemy because, one, it brings division and isolation. It attacks the church. I mean, the church has not been the same for a while now because of it. Yeah. Because it's a natural isolation. It forces us to isolate from other people. And it's nothing more than what the enemy wants to do than to isolate you from the people and from the things that you need most. Yeah. And then I also felt through this that it, attack, it attacks the breath and early on, God gave me Genesis 2, 7, where God leaned over man. I mean, think how intimate this is. God leaned over the man he had just formed, and it says he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. nostrils. Man. And so I, I clung to that scripture mm. through this entire process because COVID attacked the breath of life and... Uh, God gave Wendy. He breathed the breath of life back into Wendy. He sure did. Um, and uh, then I would say one other thing that impacted me. And, and God did all these things. Let me. God did all these things on Sunday mornings, sitting here in church when I didn't want to be here. But He dropped all the all three of those things into my about scripture and worship, about the breath of life, and about community. He dropped all three of those things in here on a Sunday morning during worship. Mm when I would have just soon rather been home. Yeah. Um, but he also, if you remember the story about the, the group of friends that clawed through the roof to drop their friend in front of Jesus, they did whatever it took to get 
their friend in front of the one guy that they thought would help him. And that's what I felt about you guys. That's what I felt about the hundreds of people outside of this churches, states, countries, Mm -hmm. different countries that joined us in prayer for Wendy is they did whatever it took to help me get my wife in front of Jesus because because of that, that's that's faith with works, right? It took action to get them. It's faith with community. So those were the, the three things that God really impacted on me during that that's that awesome. journey. Well, I, I think that it'd be uh, appropriate as we finish this morning to to give people an opportunity to experience God in a way that I I, I think will give hope and and that that we would. Uh, have a moment of prayer for people that maybe need physical healing and or pe- prayer for people that find themselves in a dark hour and um, that they would be encouraged to, to continue to do things that are good and right even when you don't want to do one. Can we, can we just say thank you to the church as well? Absolutely. Yes, thank you. We, we just want to say thank you for your prayer, for your community for some of you have blessed us financially through this just with meals man just being able to a gift card to go out and get something to eat so we didn't have to mess with fixing a meal yeah has been awesome um so we just want to say thank you to the church you guys have been phenomenal uh you always have been but it's just nice to remind you that you are yeah so from showers to flowers yeah i mean you guys experienced a very dark hour uh 50 days on event diagnosis that you weren't supposed to come home and but I slept through all of it (laughs) (laughs) but but here you are and um, beating all the odds to God be the glory and uh, I asked her if she saw the light pastor (laughs) I said did you see the light she said no I said was it hot Again, pray for me. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Can we just thank David and Wendy for sharing their story with us today? Thank you, guys. Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word CONNECT to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope to see you guys next time.